Hugo Chavez was at his most controversial overseas, a friend to those who defied America and the West, mocking President Bush as the devil at the United Nations. But even there, a brief, silent moment of tribute. Even in death, Hugo Chavez polarizes this nation. This is a moment of change, undoubtedly. But for now, this isn't about politics. It's about the man and a deep, visceral sense of loss. And that was the BBC's Ian Palo. Your forum at eight starts just after this. We are asking you, what do you know about what you're putting in your stomach? Vibhashan, you've got your news headlines and your news at eight. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Top stories, former Flakplas commander Dirk Kutsia dies and more than 20 rhino have been poached countrywide in the last week. Good morning, I'm Vabakshni Chetty. The former commanding officer of the police's Flakplas unit, Dirk Kutsia, has died. His brother-in-law, Chris Krauser, has confirmed that Kutsia died in a Pretoria hospital yesterday afternoon. Krauser says Kutsia had been very ill for a while. The cause of his death has not yet been confirmed since a variety of complications led to it. Horisani Dark Kutsie was the co-founder of the apartheid squad based in Flag Plus. The team comprised of Kutsie, Eugene de Kock, and Joe Mamasela, amongst others. The unit's existence became public in 1988 following the execution of Almond Nofomela, who confessed to be part of the security police squad headed by Kutsie. The squad was responsible for the murders of people like student activist Sizwe Kondile and human rights lawyer Griffiths Mtrenge. In 1997, Kutsie was granted amnesty by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. For SABC Radio News, I'm Horisan in Johannesburg. The Minister for Women, Children and Persons Living with Disabilities, Lulu Kringwana, says dismantling a patriarchal society is key to bringing down the high levels of violence against women and girls. Kringwana was speaking at the Commission on the Status of Women at the UN in New York, which is grappling specifically with the issue of violence against women. Kringwana says even though South Africa boasts a progressive constitution, the country is facing the challenges of a patriarchal society. Our constitution international instruments and legislative framework, including the Domestic Violence Act, the Sexual Offences Act, provide the most progressive platform for us to comprehensively deal with the challenge of violence against women and girls, and to dismantle the patriarchal societal structure which continues to be responsible for the high levels of violence in our country. Convicted drug trafficker Frank Nabalisa will today approach the Constitutional Court after his sentence was increased from 12 to 20 years by the Supreme Court of Appeal. Nabalisa and the former State Security Minister's wife, Cheryl Kwele, were convicted in Peter Maritzburg's High Court in 2011. Rulani Baloy has more. The High Court found that Kwele had recruited white females for Nigerian national Frank Nabolisa, who then used them as drug mules. A South African woman, Tessa Bietre, is serving an eight-year sentence in a Brazilian jail for drug trafficking. Bietre was found in possession of 10 kilograms of cocaine at a Sao Paulo International Airport in 2008. Both Nabolisa and Goyle were sentenced to 12 years imprisonment. On appeal to the Supreme Court, the SCA increased their sentence to 20 years each. Nabolisa has now approached the highest court in the land, arguing that the SCA had erred in its ruling. Rulani Baloy, SABC News, Johannesburg. 
A memorial service for the teenager who was murdered at a school on the West Rand is expected to be held today. Khea Mohetswe Sefularu was stabbed to death near the Lukanya High School on Friday, allegedly by her classmates. A total of 10 learners at the school have been suspended and a 15-year-old was arrested for the murder and is due to return to court next week. Sefularu died in hospital after giving her mother the names of those who ambushed her. The family believes a satanic cult was behind the murder. A funeral service for the teenager is expected to be held this weekend. More than 20 rhino have been poached countrywide in the last week, bringing the total number to, to 146 this year. South African National Park says the Kruger National Park remains the hardest hit, with 15 rhino being poached for their horns since February 20th. The park has had 107 poaching incidents since the start of 2013. Medical charity Medicine Sans Frontiers has painted a bleak picture of Syria's once praiseworthy health system, saying it's collapsed with devastating consequences for the sick and injured. Here's the BBC's Caroline Hawley. MSF says that the Syrian health system used to be of a high standard, but since the uprising began, doctors can be labelled as enemies of the state for treating the injured, and medical care has been pushed underground. Makeshift hospitals have been set up in caves, homes and farms, but are being targeted in air raids. Drugs are in short supply in both government and rebel-held areas, and according to MSF, combatants are often given priority for treatment. The US dollar is trading at 9 rand 11, pound sterling is worth 13 rand 66 and the euro costs 11 rand 83, gold is at $1,583.91 an ounce, the spot price of Brent crude $110.35 a barrel. Recapping the top story, the former commanding officer of the South African police's Flakplas unit Dirk Kutsia has died. SAFM News, I'm Vabakshni Chetty, headlines at 8.30. <laughs> Traffic on SAFM. Well, the three major problems that we've had on Joburg's roads this morning, still very much with us. Uh, number one is the stationary truck on the Mike 1 North at the Car um, uh, Street exit in Bramfontein. Traffic still heavy from the N12 at Southgate. I just spoke to someone that's taken an hour to get off the N12 to Gold Reef City, and they're probably only halfway to getting up towards the obstruction. That's how bad it is this morning. Behind that, the M2 queue starts at the N3, Heldenace Interchange in Germiston. The M2 is queued all all the way through from the highway through towards the Crown Interchange. Uh, problem number two has been an earlier collision on the N1 at the Clue. It's just being cleared. Uh, there's an enormous uh, tailback that uh, starts before you get to Bayers Nordia. All lanes of the highway from Bayers Nordia to the Clue are absolutely solid this morning. Uh, behind that, Bayers Nordia, Malabongwe, uh, William Nickel, and especially Ravonia Road, trying to on-ramp uh, from those approaches onto the highway. Just very difficult, so big delays. And the other problem, uh, perhaps even a bigger one this morning, is the N14. The roadworks as you approach Deepslip, uh, going towards Pretoria from Krugersdorp, putting an hour, one hour, 60 minutes on your trip time once you get past the R512 Malabongwe Lanseria exit. The R114 is probably going to be quicker. That's the sort of old road route, if you like. You can come off at Malabongwe and get onto that, but that will also be jammed as well. Uh, Pretoria, long queues on the N4, Bequena Highway into the roadworks at Durhamport Plaza, uh, a lot heavier than normal this morning. And Durban, a collision at the um, uh, the uh, Pavilion Shopping Centre on the N3 coming inbound means that 
delay as you come out of the Pine Town from the M13 Paradise Valley. Also a collision at Westwood Mall on the M2, queuing traffic through Spaghetti Junction towards Umgeni Road. And very heavy pressure again on the M2 this morning. The problem is the sinkhole on the M4 south as you go in towards Imschlanger. People avoiding that queue and instead jamming up the M2. The M2 is probably heavier than the sinkhole problem on the M4. The queues on the M2 south from Umschlodi right down to the uh, gateway exit from Umschlanger Rocks. Rob Byrne, AM Live, Traffic Watch. Countless people think they portray the center of all things in life. However, there is an objective core that exists and belongs to nobody. That core is found in the truth. We discuss this truth on Sunday Live, intending to raise the level of social dialogue. Join us on Sunday Live, every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. on SABC One. Brought to you by SABC News. At Enterprise, we never compromise. No donkey, no buffalo, no horse meat. Only the best quality meat cuts are good enough for Enterprise. Don't compromise, serve Enterprise. It's me, Jonathan, in the Big Apple and bringing you the breaking news. On April 4th, Top Billing takes its shortest journey ever. From Tuesday night to Thursday night. It's not like we're going from New York to London. That's right, just Tuesdays at 8 to Thursday nights at 8.30 p.m. We'll still be taking you around the world in just an hour every single week. We'll just be doing it on Thursday nights at 8.30 p.m. From the 4th of April, see you there. Imagine a city that invests in its infrastructure so that its residents lead an improved quality of life. Upgraded water and sewer networks, more than 6,000 water meters repaired, more than 100 kilometers of stormwater pipes cleaned. A city that introduced South Africa's first bus rapid transit system, Riavaya, a safe, fast and affordable world-class transport system, and at some of the most magnificent stadiums in the world. Can you imagine living in such a city? You do. These are just some of the city of Joburg's many significant achievements. Imagine what we're doing for you tomorrow. Visit joburg.org.za for more. Joburg, a world-class African city. It's time once more for the 7th Annual South African Film and Television Awards. And this year, the SAPC has garnered a whopping 20 nominations across a range of non-fiction categories. From factual to magazine, music, variety and lifestyle, talk shows and reality. For the likes of The Dr. Mall Show, Jam Alley Crew vs. Crew, Mutuako and Afro Cafe. The hit shows just keep on coming. Tune in to the live broadcast on the 16th of March only on SAPC3. The 2013 Softers brought to you by the SAPC, official broadcaster of award-winning content. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. And a very good morning, 10 minutes after 8 on the Forum at 8. I'm Darshan Madli bringing you the show today. Olani Gualo out of the studio until Monday, so you're going to have to put up with me, the Durban boy. Coming up today, we talk about genetically modified foods. It's a highly controversial topic. It's been getting NGOs, lawyers, governments, and those food technologists hot under the collar. We're going to get them hot under the collar today as well. Uh, some people feel that genetic engineering is inevitable. It's the wave of the future. We cannot afford to ignore the enormous potential 
benefits. Others are saying we should tread carefully, avoid causing unintended harm to human health as a result of this technology. What are your thoughts? Well, between 70 to 80% of our maize in South Africa is GM. For years, we've also legally been producing GM soya and cotton. In 2011, new regulations were passed into law which required companies to label their food products. The aim was to give the consumers the choice of eating GM food or not. But as our senior reporter, Melanie Moses, has found this week, not everyone in the industry is complying. Consumers may not be aware of this, but genetically modified organisms can be found in a lot of the food we consume daily. Maize and soy are used in products like cereals, milk, margarine, and even bread. The debate on whether GM is good or bad rages on around the world, but our government's stance is clear. Every GM variety that it has approved is safe for South Africans to consume. Not everyone agrees with this, though, and campaigners have been pushing for GM food to be labelled to give consumers a choice. In 2011, South Africa became one of around 39 countries to have introduced mandatory GM labelling. I took a walk through some shopping aisles with Gareth Jones, a researcher at the African Centre for Biosafety, to see if companies are complying. A lot of bakers now, they use soya flour uh, in baking. So, for example, if we just look at this white loaf of Sasko, and you look at the ingredients, and here we go, yeah, soybean flour and in this case there is uh, this little asterisk underneath that says soybean is produced using genetic modification so that's, that's as it should be and that's as the laws were intended however uh, right next to that we take a, a white loaf again of blue ribbon and again you'll see uh, on the ingredients this soya flour but there's no mention at all of genetic modification now they could argue this is because it uses non-GM soya Though, considering 90% of the soy grown in South Africa is genetically modified, that's very unlikely. The Department of Trade and Industries, Andisa Potwana, says the law on labelling is very clear. It's directly linked to the amount of GMOs in a product. From 1% downwards, manufacturers, producers, suppliers may actually label that the food is GM-free. Between 1% and 5%, they may state that the food or the product contains less than 5%. But from 5% upwards, manufacturers, suppliers should actually state that the food is genetically modified. It seems clear-cut, but it's evident that this isn't happening. So I have uh, in my hands here Nestle Cerillac, and it says maize flour. I can't see any mention of genetically modified organisms. Now people could say that there might not be any genetically modified material in this. We actually had some of this tested last year and it came back with a very high content level of genetically modified maize. From this it looks like they're still not labelling. So this was brought to the attention of the company last year? Yeah, this was early, early 2012. Okay, let's move on to the cereal aisle where there are lots of popular brands. Carrot Future Life and Proneutra were two of the products that you tested last year and both were found to have a high GM content. Yet in these two boxes I'm looking at now, only one has been labelled. Yeah, that's correct. The uh, Future Life says uh, may contain genetically modified organisms. And then we have Pro Neutro and there's no mention of genetically modified ingredients, despite the fact the box states that over 80% of the total components of this box come from maize and soy, which again, the majority of which grown in South Africa is from genetically modified sources. And your tests proved that both of these boxes had high GM content? The, the items we tested last year, they did, yeah, that's correct, they both came back with 
very high levels of GM content. So why is there such a difference with the labeling of products on our shelves? Well, the food industry has its answers. Bokomo says it started labeling single-ingredient products such as cornflakes a year ago, but says composite-ingredient products such as Pronutro are in the process of being labeled. Premier Foods says the soya flour content in its blue ribbon bread is below 1%. Nestle says its infant cereal is produced using non-GM maize. They're waiting on government to clarify the precise labeling requirements on their products. Despite the law outlined by the Department of Trade and Industry, companies appear to be confused about what exactly is required of them. Janusz Luterek from Hahn & Hahn Attorneys has been involved in efforts to amend the legislation on behalf of food companies. He strongly believes the law in its current form is vague and open to interpretation. This is the one field where they don't know how to comply because of the way the regulation has been written. He says the problem centers around how the law relates to composite food like cereal. It may be that most of those ingredients are in fact not genetically modified. But one of those ingredients, let's say soy, is 100% genetically modified. But yet of the total amount in the product, it is a small percentage. It will be, say, less than 5%. So in that instance, the foodstuff would not need to be labeled as genetically modified because the ingredients as a whole are less than 5% genetically modified. And that would not be obvious to the ordinary man in the street who picks up a box and either sees something as being genetically modified or it's not labelled at all because it falls below the 5% threshold. Potwana has acknowledged that there is a process of review underway, but he is adamant that this is no reason for companies not to comply with existing laws. There shouldn't be any confusion about the interpretation of this particular section. It's not the 5% of the actual ingredient, it's the 5% of the entire product. That's what triggers labeling. Tomorrow we look at a startling study which reveals how consumers are being misinformed. And that was our senior reporter, Melanie Moses, bringing us that report on uh, the industry. Not everyone complying with the labeling regulations around GM food. But let's introduce our guests and, uh, of course, invite you to give us a phone call or SMS us as well, 0891-104-208. That's the number you can dial, 0891-104-208. SMSs can be sent to our hotline number, 34701, and those cost two rand to send them through, 34701. Now, to our guest, of course, uh, joining me in studio is Gareth Jones, as you heard him earlier on in the uh, package there, researcher at the African Center for Biosafety, or the ACB. He's uh, an anti-GM campaigner in in many ways. Gareth, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Darshan. On the phone lines, we've got uh, Andisa Potwana, who you also heard in that report. Uh, He's the Director of Consumer and Competition Law and uh, Policy at the Department of Trade and Industry. Mr. Potwana, thanks for joining us. Good morning, good morning to Thanks so much. Uh, Motlatsi Musi is a farmer. Uh, he sits on the bro, pro-GM side of the fence. Uh, Mr. Musi uh, grows maize, beans, potatoes, uh, breeds pigs and cows on a 21-hectare farm that he acquired in 2004 uh, through the Land Redistribution for Agricultural Development Program. Uh, he's also a member of the Global Farmer Network, and he says for those of us who produce the food, that means full access to biotechnology. Mr. Musi, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Good morning to your listeners. And I appreciate your comments today. And uh, finally joining us on the panel, consumer and food law attorney, Janus Luterek. Uh, a very good morning to you, Mr. Luterek. 
Good morning. Um, I'm glad to be on the program, and we can maybe inform consumers of what the actual position is and what it maybe should be. Well, that's exactly what we hope to do. What are the regulations around this? What should we be knowing as a consumer? Do we even know what we're putting in our stomachs? And I guess that's the biggest concern. Gareth, maybe you can start there. Um, You know, we've talked about uh, the the donkey meat saga, you know, what's in our biltong, what's in our food products. I guess even what's in our cereal. It's it's a big concern for all of us. We want to know what we're eating. But at the same time, are we told what we're eating? If if I'm told that I'm going to eat donkey meat, I think I have no problem. I'll eat the donkey meat. But if you're telling me it's beef and I'm eating donkey, I'm going to have a problem. So it's the same with GM, right? Well, thank you, Dash. And I mean, that's a very uh, timeous um, event, the whole meat mm. scandal and what is in our food. And um, it relates to the whole debate around genetically modified organisms and, and uh, general issues in the wider food system um, we feel as an organization and there are many uh, who agree with us in uh, academia and science and consumer groups that the the general public is not aware of what they're eating and that there is a a veil of secrecy around our food system and we uh, as consumers as people eating food we should be more informed of what we're eating and the the decisions behind Mm. what we're eating and we we're basically calling for more, more transparency, more public participation. And the part of who, though? Who, who do we ask for more transparency? Is it government that we demand the transparency from? More accountability on behalf of those who are producing the products to inform us what's in them? Uh, you know, we we heard a little bit earlier on the the issue of whether it's five percent content of the total food, whether then you have to say it's GM or just of the individual products. I mean, these sort of regulations creates a, a, a little bit of confusion for a lot of people. So, who do we ask for the accountability? Who do we ask for the transparency? I mean, you're correct, there does seem to be confusion presently, but I mean, ultimately, government should be uh, enforcing or bringing into into practice regulations around our food system. I mean, we, we vote them into government on our behalf, so government uh, is really the, 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 the sort of the buck stops of government, but I mean, there's a, there's a a lot of interlinkages, uh, not just in South Africa, around the world between sort of the global food industry and government. I mean, the classic example people would use is in the United States, the, the so-called uh, revolving door syndrome, where you have people holding very senior positions in the biotechnology industry, um, and they're revolving between government posts, mm. between biotechnology, between academia. And back and into it, industry again. And it's these people who are sort of ultimately drafting the, the laws and regulations that um, are governing food. And there's a so an unholy alliance of sort that exists there. Janus Luterich, yes. I, I heard you in the background there. Yes. And, and I guess, wh- what do you say on these regulations? Who should sure. we be holding let me, accountable? Let me just jump in. You know, mm. we're using this term government very vaguely. And of sure. course, government consists of various departments. Mm. So we have a Department of Health, which, by the very definition, is responsible for the health of consumers. And the Department of Health issued a regulation in 2004, which required the labeling of foodstuff, which was significantly different in respect of the composition, nutritional value, mode of storage, preparation or cooking, or allergenicity of foodstuffs. So we must be very clear that if a foodstuff which is on sale differed significantly from a normal foodstuff, in fact it had to be labelled already since 2004. The Department of Agriculture, which is a different government department, operates the Executive Council 
for the approval of genetically modified uh, uh, seeds and crops, etc., for commercialization. And they have a committee which consists of scientists, government officials, etc., whose only interest in the whole matter is consumer safety. So any product which is put on the market in South Africa has first been approved, firstly by the Department of Agriculture's Executive Committee as being safe, and is also considered safe by the Department of Health. So I think we need to be very careful when we say government. Government is a very mm, broad mm. term which doesn't really mean anything. It's a nebulous term. So, Yanis, uh, Mr. Littrick, are, are you then saying that the Department of Health and the Department of Agriculture that really where, where the buck stops, as, uh, as Gareth was saying? Yes, absolutely. You know, at, the, at the end of the day, people vote for government, and I must back Gareth on that one. Mm. And government is put there to implement policy. And, of course, if you're unhappy with that, you can vote differently at the next election. We are very fortunate. We have elections more or less every five years. And if you feel very strongly about these things, vote for the Green Party or some other party that will change all of this. The, the reality is that where we stand now, the Department of Health, with all its eminent scientists, etc., we have a medical doctor who is the Minister of Health. So, you know, one can't just discount the fact that they understand what this debate is all about. Mm. And I think it's very clear it's not about food safety. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's involve Andisa Putwana in the conversation. He's the Director at uh, Consumer and Competition Law at, and Policy at the Department of Trade and Industry. Uh, Mr. Putwana, how, how does the DTI fit into this now? We, we heard about the Department of Health uh, looking around labeling, ensuring the health of the nation, Department of Agriculture looking at specifically GMO and, and approving a council to look at this. Where does DTI fit into the mix? Yes, uh, the Government of Trade and Industry uh, mandate in respect to labeling of genetically modified uh, organisms primarily focus on informing, on informing consumer. And informing the consumer so that the consumer is able to make a choice whether there will be people who will say that they do not want to, to, to consume genetically modified uh, derived food. And then there will be people who will actually believe in the, and the nutritional value and other things, and they believe that they should eat uh, genetically modified foods. Our section 264 of the Consumer Protection Act focuses on that, that the consumer should be aware those who may want to eat it and those who prefer not to eat it should actually be aware. And that's where the DTI comes in, and that's what the regulations focus on. Mm. I, I want to also involve uh, Mr. Musi in the conversation, Motlati Musi, uh, once again a farmer who's uh, producing maize, beans, potatoes, uh, breeding pigs and cows on a 21-hectare farm. He's uh, in favor of, of GM. Mr. Musi, once again, good morning. Uh, do you do anything to inform those who are buying your products of whether you're using GM seeds? Very much so. so every time I sell my green millies, I tell my customers that the, the food is genetically modified. And, and what do they understand by that? Uh, how, how do you explain that to them? Yes, I tell them that the maize has got a, a gene in it, a protein that is toxic to, to the pest, the stock borer. But it is only toxic to the stock borer. It is safe to consume because unlike the stock borer, mankind does not have the necessary receptor to bind onto the toxic protein and make them sick. And there is no scientific evidence of anybody on earth getting injured or dying from consuming genetically modified food. As compared to organically 
produce food, I think uh, GM uh, uh, seeds are safer. Mm. Mr. Musi, what's the value in producing a GM crop for you? Why would you choose to produce GM foods rather than a, a, a normal crop, if I can call it that? It is safer for me because I do no longer spray pesticides, which would normally affect us through inhalation at times. It is also safer to the environment because when spraying pesticides, sometimes at a, a, a later stage, because this, this uh, pesticide comes four times in the planting season and uh, at times you are not even able to drive in with your tractor. Earlier on, I don't remember whether it was during the 60s or late, uh, late 60s, it was shown on one Africa's newspaper that spray-on pesticides are affecting the non-target species, such as frogs and birds that are nestling in the trees. In the, during the 60s, when we were moving away from organic, lip, uh, organic production, an environmentalist was seen, uh, I, I, I saw it on, on uh, this African magazine, I don't remember if it was Lambo Vietnam or Fatherland, but uh, that environmentalist wearing protective clothing after the planes uh, uh, broadcast uh, uh, the spray on, even a rabbit was affected. How much has this really improved your yield, though? So uh, were you producing a normal crop before, and, and has this improved the amount of food that you're producing on the farm? Yes, uh, you see, because uh, the, the pest, when once mm. the fields are infested, the, 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 the crop is damaged and is not growing to the fullest. So how, how much do you think? Would you put a percentage on, on how much yes, more food yes, you're able yes, to produce? Uh, when we were doing analysis, we And, and, of course, in, in a country like ours, where, of course, food security is a concern, increasing our yield is quite important. Uh, and Disa Potwana from, from DTI, uh, as you heard, Mr. Muzi there says he does inform his customers that he's uh, selling them something that's, that's produced through a, a GMC. But is he required to do it, or, or is, is there somewhere else along the value chain that is supposed to inform the customer? I was asking you, who, who is required to inform the consumer? So you say there are laws and, and DTI requires that the consumer is informed or made aware of what they're eating, be it from donkey meat or all the way to GM foods. So is there a requirement that Mr. Muzi, as the farmer, notify his consumers, his customers, or is it the company who then perhaps, you know, produces uh, that, uh, you know, turns that raw material into something else, is it, is it them that's required to inform the consumer? Yeah, in terms of our ads, any person who produces, any person who produces supplies, imports, or packages, any, any, any foods, any prescribed goods, basically, uh, which contain uh, 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 genetically modified ingredients or components, is supposed to, to inform the public uh, uh, or the consumers in terms of labeling of those particular product, uh, products. So if you have a farm and you have a producer, you should actually label. If you have a supplier or, or a retailer or an importer, you should actually display a label on your on the packaging of those particular mm-hmm. those prescribed goods 
of the presence of genetically modified well, Mr. Bitcoin, I, I want to get to, you, you keep saying they should have to do this, but what happens when they don't? And, and as you heard Gareth Jones uh, a little bit earlier on telling us about a number of products that we can find on the shelves that don't have uh, the correct labeling on it, we're going to ask you what, sure. you, what you plan to do yeah. about that. Uh, but first, it's uh, almost 8.30, just uh, a couple seconds after it. Fubakshini Chetty bringing you a news headlines. Good morning, V. Thank you, Darshan. Good morning. The reputation managing team of Paralympian Oscar Pistorius has handed over management of interviews to the family and will not speak on their behalf anymore. And here's a wrap of this morning's top stories. Former police captain and commander of the Flakplas unit Dirk Kutsia has died. Kutsia's brother-in-law, Chris Krauser, confirmed that Kutsia died yesterday in a Pretoria hospital. The Centre for Child Law is taking Basic Education Minister Angie Mutsecha to court over the shortage of teachers in the Eastern Cape. Independent political analyst Wahid Patel says the Transport Laws and Related Matters Amendment Bill, which gives effect to e-tolling in Gauteng, is likely to take the same route as the Protection of State Information Bill. And Kenyans may know tomorrow who the winner of Monday's presidential election is. The Independent Electoral Commission admitted that the electronic tallying system faced technical challenges which forced them to revert to manual counting. I'll be back with a full news update at 9. Traffic on SAFM. Yeah, very good morning. Uh, good news from Joburg. The uh, N1 going north, the obstruction and the accident before the Baclou interchange has been uh, cleared away. There's a backlog of traffic still to clear uh, from around about Bayes Nordia. Bayes Nordia up to William Nickel is, is the real heavy stuff now. After William Nickel up through Ravonia and into Baclou is uh, eased up nicely. Still a major problem south of Joburg with a stationary truck on the Mike 1 North at Car Street. Uh, we spoke earlier to a motorist. took an hour to go from the N12 to, to Goldreef city. I've just spoken to someone else that said an hour and 45 minutes to clear that obstruction coming off the N12 and moving all the way up the M1 to, uh, to Bramfontein, an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, behind that, the M2 is uh, just under enormous pressures. The M2 uh, queue starts at around about the N3 uh, cement factory. From that point, you queue up into the Heldon Ace and then all the way along the M2 into the Crown because you're also caught up by that truck that's uh, blocking the lane at, uh, at Car Street. The option this morning would be just to, to continue up the N3, uh, past Heldon Ace into, into Galulis, and then from Galulis ramp onto the R24 down through Eastgate, uh, Bruma Kensington, onto Broadway and go into Joburg that way this morning. Other motorists will be doing it. It will be slow, but it'll get you in a lot quicker than the M2. Uh, problem number three has been the roadworks on the uh, N14 towards Pretoria just before Dipslot. It's still somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour to clear through that queue. The R114 parallel route is going to be busy, but you get onto that and probably get through from Malabongwe drive up to Dipslot, certainly quicker than you could on that N14. Uh, traffic lights uh, an issue this morning on the January Massiella Hrasfontein Road Junction in Pretoria, so delays continue there. And just to note, toll fees, as we were warning earlier this week, toll fees around the nation have gone up, and some of those suburban toll plazas have been noticeably busier this morning, including the N4 Pretoria, uh, the Durhamport Plaza, Marion Hill uh, going into Durban, and the Gosford Plaza on the N17 in Joburg. I guess motorists just scrambling for that little bit of extra change to uh, meet the new uh, uh, price. Uh, just back into Pretoria, the N1 Linwood Road to Storm falls very heavy. A collision in Durban a little bit earlier at the pavilion on the N3 is being cleared, but it's backing up traffic uh, back into the Paradise Valley interchange coming out of uh, Pinetown. And both the M4 and N2 routes into Durban from Umschloti are both busy. The M4 because of the sinkhole uh, towards Umschlunga Rocks, the N2 because of the traffic diverting away from the M4. Rob Byrne, AM Live, Traffic Watch.
Hi, I'm Jeannie Lee. To tell you that April the 1st is still April Fool's Day. And any news announced on that day should be treated with a pinch of salt. April the 4th, however, now that's a different story. April 4th is the day that top billing moves from a Tuesday at 8 to a Thursday at 8.30. We'll still be bringing you the best of the good life from wherever in the world they're living it. Still on SABC3, but now we'll be doing it every Thursday night at 8.30 from the 4th of April. Have you tried booking accommodation online? Booking online means the best rates and widest selection, but which website can you trust? I found that TravelGround.com is the easiest way to find and book accommodation online. And with their great customer service, you can rest assured that you're in safe hands. So whether you need a hotel in Santon or a great little guest house in Franchuk, go online to www.TravelGround.com. TravelGround.com, the easiest way to find and book accommodation across South Africa. Your Saturday. Welcome to Jamra. Jamaica is wild. Are about to get a whole lot more action. You know Africa representing? SABC1 representing right here. We representing. We've got a million rand to win. Yeah, ka-ching. Let's do this. Guarantee you it's going to be a blast. You don't want to miss this. Trust me, it's going to be crazy. Tropica Island of Treasure. Bringing action to SABC1 from February 16. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights, and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. If you are the one with hope for tomorrow, with an appetite for change, with passion for your country, Join us in our drive to transform our society and nation, the new age, for a new perspective, for a positive outlook, for a united South Africa. The new age, one country, one paper. Get your copy for only three rand fifty. The Forum at Eight on SAFM. So, did you get a good breakfast this morning, or did you get some genetically modified food? Is it bad? Is it good for you? That's part of the conversation that we're having today with uh, some experts who are joining us. Gareth Jones from the African Center for Biosafety and Anti-GM campaign are talking to us today. Andisa Potwana is from uh, the Department of Trade and Industry talking to us about labeling laws around this. Mutlatsi Musi is a pro-GM farmer talking to us about the benefits of growing genetically modified crops for him as a farmer. And Janus Luterek uh, is a consumer and food law attorney who's helping us understand what the regulations say, but also what can we do if a product is labeled incorrectly? We'll uh, speak to Yanis shortly, but uh, of course, let's get to some SMSs and your phone calls. If you'd like to call us, 0891 104208, 0891 104208. Avoid it. Nature's way is the only way. Kez writes, it's time to catch a wake-up. No to all GMO. I won't eat millimeal anymore. It causes cancer in rats. The virus used to transfer the gene has now been found in human blood, so our worst fears have come true. The virus can be transferred to humans. Monsanto will have worldwide control of our food. Already they're trying to outlaw organic farming in the States. A nightmare in the making, says Kez. Uh, Aaron in Seapoint writes, GM foods like cholesterol are silent killers. Their destructive effect takes 
takes 25 years to show. Thus, they need to be tested for 25 years. Our government has allowed three months of testing, says uh, Aaron. And uh, one or two more. We are killing original nature. We should have zero GM junk in our food, unsigned. And GM is not food. It is junk. Bring back natural foods, unsigned. Peter Wiley in Grahamstown. And then we've got uh, Eddie in Pittsburgh, who's also called in. Peter, good morning. Hi, is that Dawson? Dawson, that's right. Hi, Peter. This is Eddie. That's Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Hi. How are you doing? Good, good. Wish you a good day. Listen, this is a fantastic, important subject. I'm a mm. farmer, and I want to talk 100% against GMO. Let me tell you, sir, I refuse to plant that stuff on my farm. Of course, it's easier. You plant, you close the gate, and all the worms, and guess what? And all the bees die as well. Listen to me. This is poison. We must ban the product. If not ban it, it must be labeled with red. Poison for the human system. You know what? When I go to my meetings, I grab one. I'm a farmer, man. I don't have time to, to cook. So I go to the land, pick a meal, and eat it while I'm plowing, working my land. I eat it raw. I go to my neighbor who's got the GMO product, and I eat it. Eddie, Eddie, I want to ask you something. Much, as, as a farmer, much. Eddie, I, w- I want to ask you something. You know, one of the challenges that farmers face in this country is the rising minimum wages for your workers. You, yes. You're facing, uh, you know, steep droughts in many cases. Water's a, a, a real insecurity. You're also having issues with, um, you know, with the land as well, trying to find the proper land to, and, and the proper equipment and capacity. One of the things that GM offers is to lower your cost of production by increasing your productivity. Is, is this oh. not something that you would look at? Oh, for sure, friend, but let me tell you, our air is already questionable. We don't even talk about our roads. Our water is questionable. Our sewerage is going mad. So we got to just add another nail in my uh, consumer's product. Do I really not care about our consumer? The consumer is of paramount importance to me, my friend. I want to deliver a very good product that this guy not live 50 years, 150 years. We've got to do this. Of course, Eddie, it's thanks, easier thanks to close the gates, but we mm. can't do this, Alison. We've got to make go with nature. I promise you, all my bees are dying on my farm because all around me, the farmers have planted millions and millions of plants which are GM, and that worm comes and it dies in here. I've got to go Eddie, now thanks, and thanks. Thanks. We have to go Eddie in Fixburg, thank you very much for calling in. Uh, Peter Wiley in Grahamstown, uh, he says the population needs food, Peter. Does that mean we need to be growing GM crops? Well, exactly. Now, look, Eddie's going to be very upset with me with what I say. (laughs) But uh, um, I'd like to ask your guests there, uh, what is not genetically modified today, Mm -hmm. apart from the fish in the ocean? Because the cows that produce my milk, if I didn't genetically modify them by using artificial insemination, this is just a simple example, we would not make a living on our farm. And the maize that you grow, I mean... it, 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 when it was first discovered, it was a little crop, uh, cabbages, for instance. They, they, everything that we eat, it has to be. If you're going to have the population, what is more important to us today? The survival of this planet or the, the few cranks who want to talk about the harmful effect? Who's ever been harmed? That's another question. Who's mm-hmm. ever been harmed by genetically modified food? And what is not genetically modified today? As I say, apart from the fish in the ocean. Great. Peter, thanks for calling in. Uh, great questions there coming from uh, all of you. If you'd like to call in 0891 I think Mark is holding on the line from the Eastern Cape. And then we'll go back to our guest. Mark, good morning. Hi, Mark. It seems, I think Mark is, uh, Mark's gone, Mark in the Eastern Cape there. Of course, once again, if you'd like to call in 0891 SMS is still flooding through 34701 at a cost of two rand. Uh, 
I guess we've stirred a hornet's nest in, 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 into to part of the panda, uh, of course, Peter talking about bees. But I, I guess it's an issue that a, a lot of people feel close to their heart. What are you eating? What are you putting into your body? Uh, before we went to uh, the break, of course, I was talking to uh, Andisa Patwana from the DTI. Mr. Patwana, I was asking you, you know, you, you said a lot of the times that, that we should be doing these things. Companies should be telling us what's in these products, whether they're using GM soy products in, in, in their food. What happens if they're not doing it right? And, and as Gareth Jones here has found out, just going to the, our shelves in any supermarket, you can find a countless number of products that are wrongly labeled, that say GM-free when actually they do contain GM products. Yes, uh, the simple answer to that is that uh, the Consumer Act establishes an enforcement agency known as the National Consumer Commission. And if consumers believe that any company, any supplier, any producer is contravening the law, they have the right to lodge complaints with that agency, which will then investigate the matter and uh, prosecute the, 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 the companies that are not uh, legally required. Are there any such cases currently going through? Uh, I know of none since we must remember that this is a very new act and the regulations have to be implemented six months later in terms of the, our agreement and mm. uh, obligations in terms of the World Trade Organization uh, commitments. So currently, uh, I know of no case where it's been reported. Mm. Remember, it's also the responsibility of the consumer. Well, that's exactly the question, Mr. Pachmana. As you say, so we, we hear the complaints coming through on, on AM here, through the SMSs on the phone lines, but you're not seeing those complaints reaching your desk. Yanis Luterich, you're a food law attorney and a consumer law attorney. Uh, clearly, you're also hearing some of the complaints. Why aren't we seeing those complaints playing out in court? Now, look, I think it's, we must be very clear here that the regulations as they currently stand, and, and I've actually been to a very senior advocate and conferred with him on this point as well, mm. only require single, in, single ingredient commodity type products to be labeled. So the actual maize seed, possibly the maize meal, once you get to a composite product, mm. the way that the regulations were drafted now, and it's all about the definitions, you know, in the current regulations, they refer to goods. And the goods are defined as the crops that were approved by the executive council of the for genetically uh, for GMOs. Let's just use that acronym mm. for now. So the problem is is that consumers think every product should be labelled, whereas the law only requires very few products to be labelled. And in fact, products that have less than five percent don't need to be labelled at all. And products that have less than one percent voluntarily can be labelled as GM-free. So have we effectively left a loophole there, just available and open, so that Mr. Putwana never sees any complaints? No, I don't think it's a loophole. And we need to understand the process of how these regulations came about. When the first draft of the regulations came out, they were very, very broad. And in fact, they would have required virtually everything you eat, even if you eat in a restaurant, to be labeled. And through a process of consultation and revision, the scope of the regulations was narrowed down to what it is now. It's not an accident and it's not an omission. It was an intentional process. And the reason is that the cost of doing all of this would overwhelm the food industry and thereby the consumer. Mm. One mustn't forget that in the USA, in California, on the 6th of November, when they had their last U.S. election, they had a proposition called Prop 37. You know, the USA has this very good system of having a referendum on very contentious issues. Mm -hmm. And the population of California 
democratically voted against GMO labeling because they were properly informed and they understood that the cost would drive the price of food up, whereas, in fact, it's not a safety issue. And I just need to speak to this, is that we don't label many other things that people might like to know. I might like to know what species or what variety of cow milk comes from. I want to only drink cow milk from this cow or that cow. It doesn't say that on the milk. I may only want a specific varietal of maize in my maize meal. It doesn't say that on the maize meal. There's no requirement to say that on the maize meal. And GMO crops, which have not substantially changed the nature of the product, and I think we must be very clear on that, that they don't substantially change the nutritional or allergenicity or any of those characteristics of the product, need not be labeled under the food safety laws. So by bringing in this requirement, they were trying to appease the member, the, the section of the population which would like some information, and I'm not saying that they're not entitled to the information. Well, let's, let's go back to the members of the public, because we yes. do have uh, a number of callers that have come through. Um, I'm going to take Mark from the Eastern Cape first. Uh, he's got an interesting story to tell us. Mark, hi, good morning. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I just I just like to add to the debate. Um, there's been a lot of glib statements around uh, GM crops um, so far. I mean, one of them was that they're as safe as ordinary crops. Um, we basically won a, 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 a ruling in the Advertising Standards Authority because Monsanto was saying their crops were as safe as ordinary crops, these genetically modified crops that they put on the market. Mm-hmm. And... Um, there was a lot of evidence to show that it's not. I mean, there was, uh, you know, there's, there's been so many different studies that, that have come out from independent scientists, not the ones that, that Monsanto uses uh, when they make their submissions to, to government. Saying Mark, when, when you say are. we won, uh, who, who's we? Well, I, I won and uh, I, I basically complained to the Advertising Standards Authority that Monsanto was wrong when they said the food was just as safe as, as ordinary crops. Um, and, and the Advertising Standards Authority under the doyen of corporate justice, uh, uh, Justice King, uh, he, he basically ruled that it was, it was not as safe, and, and Monsanto is no longer allowed to advertise that their crops are as safe as ordinary crops because there is so much overwhelming evidence that there are all sorts of issues. If you look at mm. even in the production of these crops, um, the, the farmer is saying that you don't need to spray as much, but actually you need to spray a lot of pesticide, and the pesticide that you're using is Monsanto's patented Roundup-ready herbicide. Well, Mark, thank all you very much GM for calling in. Are, are actually designed to be sprayed with Roundup, and Roundup is linked to all sorts of diseases. And a systemic, it's a systemic pesticide. It mm. means it's not like a surface pesticide that, that you spray on the outside, but the herbicide that, that they use for genetically modified crops actually enters into the food into the no amount of washing or cooking can get rid of it. It's in your seed. It's in the it's in the fruit, and that's the problem with this is that it's actually having an effect not only on the farmer who's spraying the glyphosate, not only on on the on the residues going into the water and the effect that it has mm. on aquaculture and on the on the. On Mark, the, we're um, going to have to leave it there with you, Mark, in the Eastern Cape. Thanks uh, for calling in. A number of other callers coming through. We will get to the lines. Uh, I see precious. Mike in Durban and Edward, we will get back to you just shortly. I, I want to get to this question that, that Peter raised a bit earlier on. Uh, Gareth, if you can help us, uh, Gareth Jones, again, from the African Center for Biosafety, the ACB, and uh, he's a researcher there. What's not GM? Um, are, are there things that we can find on the shelves that are not GM, or is it only whole food? Um, and, and what's the harm? Who's been harmed? Okay, thanks, Darshan. Um, let's be very clear about this. In South Africa, there are only three crops that are genetically modified. That's maize, soya, and cotton. 
And if you look at the global picture, it's also maize, soya, cotton and canola. They're the major crops. In places like Hawaii, there is some papaya, but as far as I know, it's not for export. Or um, And the caller was correct in some ways. We, we do need to sort of look to improve our crops and raise yields and improve them against disease and pests and so forth. These, but, um, these three products can be found in, in a wide variety of things on our shelves. That's correct. Right? So, but I mean, can I, sorry, can I just mm. finish? The, I mean, farmers have been doing crop improvement in their fields for the last 10,000 years. Um, in the, over the course of the 20th century, a lot of this work was transferred to sort of scientific laboratories. But even today, um, you speak to many independent agronomists and specialists, and they will still tell you that the, the most effective means of improving crops, whether that be for yield, whether that be for insect uh, resistance or for disease resistance, is through conventional breeding programs. And um, th- there's... I mean, we've covered a lot of issues, and it's mm. a very complex issue. Just, uh, I mean, the, the idea of the well, the uh, the U.S. vote was was brought up, the Proposition mm. 37, and it's true it was defeated by a very small margin, but that was uh, not before the the biotechnology and food industries spent the best part of $50 million We're running out of time. That. I just want to get to this issue. Who's been harmed? Is there one example of someone we can say who's been harmed by GM products, who's had this sort of consequence, except for the rat study, which uh, I, I know came okay. out through well, there. I mean, at the moment, there is no evidence, but there's no evidence because there's been no research. I mean, and to go back to the US, where the, this has been growing the longest and it's most embedded in the food system, I mean, there's no labelling. So... How on earth could you begin to construct a, a long-term population study of what the impacts of GM food is if no one is aware they're eating GM? Um, there have been a number of independent sort of animal laboratory studies, uh, a very recent one um, in the end of last year, uh, and this was conducted over two years of a laboratory rat, which is the, mm. the lifespan of a laboratory rat, and there were found to be some uh, a very se- severe uh, implications of consuming uh, the GM maize that they tested over the lifespan of the rat. Now, industry at the moment they will present at best a three-month, what they call an acute, a short-term toxicology study. Um, and the, the European Union has just made three months mandatory. We believe it should be a lot longer because, I mean, for example, if, if today you go outside, you smoke a cigarette, you smoke a box of cigarettes, and you never smoke again. Is that going to be harmful in the long term? But if mm. you go outside, if you smoke cigarettes for the next 5, 10, 20 years, then there is a, there is an implication for harm. And that with, with the whole GM debate, there has been no sort of long-term mm. studies done into this. So, Gareth, we're going to wrap up with the callers shortly, but let's uh, go to our lines as well. Precious, uh, you first of all in Johannesburg. You're an anti-GM person. Hi, Precious. Uh, hi, the Durban boy. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks, Precious. How are you doing? Well, thanks. No, I mean, um, I know of studies uh, that have been conducted. I mean, one I could uh, quote, it was published by Forbes magazine on the 7th of December last year. Uh, It was a GM safety study uh, by a French company. It was a two-year-long study because, I mean, other studies have... No, they found that the the, the GM fed of rats you know, suffered a high rate of fatal cancers. And besides that, in 2011, um, there's a hospital in Canada, uh, in Canada Sherbrooke. They uh, tested uh, um, pregnant women. 
they found that 90, 93% of all tested um, pregnant women, they were tested positive for a BT toxin, uh, which is from the Monsanto corn, mm. and 80% of the fetal, of fetuses also tested positive. Precious, thanks so, for calling in. I'm we're going to have to rush through the lines. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. Mike in Durban, you have some evidence against GM. Welcome to Polluted South Africa. It's Mike Bloxham, a pollution activist from Durban, Durban. Uh, I'm going bananas. Right. You don't have to label genetically modified bananas. You can see them. The supermarkets are throwing away piles of bananas. Open them up and you'll find the same mark on every second banana. So they saving us the labeling. Mike, thanks for you calling can shoot in. Them there. Visually. I Have appreciate you seen your them? comment. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Let's, uh, like I say, go through the lines very quickly. Uh, we're going to ask you to be as short as possible. Edward and George. Uh, Edward, good yes, morning. Good morning. First of all, South Africa. Michelle Obama will not eat GM food. She has uh, uh, an organic garden for her staff and her family, although her husband accepts, of course, lobbying money from the big uh, amoral corporations running America. Uh, look, we have a, a doubling in cost of pesticides since the introduction of uh, GM food and farm suicides. Somebody just said there's no harm in the stuff. Uh, one farmer a week in Britain commits suicide as a result of GM's products. Argentina has hundreds and India hundreds of thousands committing suicide because they cannot get their crops to respond as they used to. Edward and, and George, thanks, thanks for calling uh, us, Edward. Unfortunately, we do have to leave it there with you. Sebastian, very quickly, I can give you some time in Cape Town. Yes, why aren't bananas being labelled if they are GM? How about maize starch, which is being put into a wide variety of food products? If the, most of the maize is GM, uh, what's in the labelling of the maize starch, which is a major constituent? Uh, when you come to food security, uh, we also... Uh, have to realize that hundreds of tons of seeds are being imported, that the seed supply is being controlled by Monsanto and, and their ilk, uh, either by contractually tying up farmers not to buy other seeds or because the plants don't replicate. Uh, so in terms of security, we don't produce our own seeds for major crops I- I- anymore. They're being Sebastian, imported. Thanks very uh, much, Sebastian in Cape Town. There. Let's wrap up with our guests very quickly. Running out of time, as you say, very rapidly, so I'm going to give them each about 30 seconds. Uh, and these are but one, I'd like to start with you uh, from the DTI. There shouldn't be confusion, but clearly there's a lot. What are we going to do? Um, we, somebody mentioned that fundamental of the regulations which needed to be amended. That is true. And we are in the process of amending the regulations. In so far, technically, they refer to crops, when in fact they should actually refer to the incident of genetically modifying or engineering uh, foods. Uh, that's the first step. After that, you would expect that uh, more people will come forward with their complaints where they perceive that certain foods are not, gen- are not laid out as genetically modified as they should be. And we invite people to, to have this engagement to match those complaints with the National Consumer Commission. And Disa Potwana, thank you very much for joining us from uh, the DCI. Yanis Luterik, I'm going to give you a chance next. Thank you. Look, I think what this debate this morning has brought out very clearly is that 
consumers don't understand what the debate is about. People mm. spoke about bananas, which mm. even Gareth will confirm are not GM, but they think they're GM mm. and so on. And therefore, putting warn- warning labels on products which have been genetically modified is just scaring people unnecessarily when the real issue in Africa is hunger. And we need to use technology. We can't be Luddites. We need to use technology to increase yields and the Department of Health and Department of Agriculture are there to determine if they're safe. If they're not safe, they must be taken off the market. Mr. Littrick, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Yanis Littrick, consumer and food law attorney. Mudlati Muzi, the uh, pro-GM farmer. Are you going to continue producing uh, your GM crops? I'll continue producing GM crops because they are safer. As compared to organically produced food, think about 31 Germans, innocent Germans who died of consuming organic food, the E. coli bacteria in it, 31 people died, and there is no single evidence of a researcher that can tell of anybody that has, got been, has been harmed by, by consuming GMOs. Mr. Muzi, thanks for joining us, Malatsi Muzi. Garrett Jones, I'll give you 10 seconds if that's okay. Sure. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Um, j- just very quickly... Um I mean, the fact we're against GM, it doesn't mean we're anti-technology. We do need research. We do need science to overcome mm. food uh, food shortages in Africa. But as has been evidence on this program, there are many issues that mm. contribute towards food sort of security, food sovereignty. And um, I think it's a mistake just to look at it through a purely technological lens. So we're, we're hoping the labelling will start a, a genuine sort of conversation in between the public, between scientists, between farmers on That's the right. best hope, way forward. Hope the conversation continues around the dinner table perhaps tonight. Researcher at the African Centre for Biosafety, the ACB, Gareth Jones. Thank you to all our guests and uh, to you for calling in your SMSs and your tweets as well. From myself, Darshan Mudley and our entire team who've put together the uh, 6 to 9 programme, our best to you and join us again tomorrow morning between 6 and 9 again. Bye-bye.
West who's been charged with conspiracy to commit murder. This is with respect to uh, uh, the late ANC secretary in the region, in uh, uh, the Matlosana, Clarkstorp area, uh, who was killed just before the Mangaung conference of the ANC last year. Now, China Dodovu has appeared in court. So we'll hear his side of the story. He has said, and uh, yesterday, you remember, Sander Matlaunyan was telling us in the news that he's been suspended, and China Dodovu has had his own press conference. He said uh, there is a process of cleansing, of removing people, of purging. No, 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 not cleansing. Purging is the word that he used. So we'll talk to him after nine o- after five past nine just to get an update and to get an, a perspective of what exactly he has in mind, where things are going. And we'll ask him the question, was he involved in the murder of David Chika? We'll ask that particular question. It's three minutes past nine. Should we try and grow to the newsroom and get an update on what's happening in the news? Is it Vabakshini Chetty? Vabakshini, good morning. Thank you, Vuyo. Good morning. Former Flakplast Commander Dirk Kutsia dies and Berlusconi back in court. Former police captain and commander of the Flakplast unit, Dirk Kutsia, has died. Kutsia's brother-in-law, Chris Krauser, confirmed that Kutsia died yesterday in a Pretoria hospital. The exact cause of death is not yet known. It's believed Kutsia suffered from diabetes. Investigative journalist Jacques Poe says Kutsia had been ill for a while. He told me last year that he couldn't leave the house anymore. Um, you know, he had basically lost some of his bodily functions. I think he also had cancer at that stage. The reputation managing team of Paralympian Oscar Pistorius has handed over management of interviews to the family and will not speak on their behalf any longer. Lunas Johnston of Rumor Reputation Management denied the handing over had anything to do with Henk Pistorius's comments. Henk said the family owned a number of firearms as the ANC fails to protect white South Africans. Oscar Pistorius's family earlier distanced themselves from his father's comments to the British media. Johnston says the agreement with the Pistorius family was to deal with requests for interviews in order to give the family time to